Uh, what what did you have for breakfast today? Today, I didn't even have breakfast. I had a really late lunch and I had some curry. <laughs> and that's quite ironic, isn't it? I expect the Indian to say that. But yeah, I had the vegetable curry and some bread. What, it's quite what, nice. What do you normally have for breakfast? Usually, I just have some fruit and toast, really. Okay. Nothing too. I try not to have too heavy a meal to begin the day. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people are doing that. Either A lot of guests seem to say nothing okay. or just like... A minuscule breakfast, it's, I don't know, maybe it's the new Iron Man diet, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you just feel lighter and, and I'll go for a big breakfast now and again, but more so when I'm having a day off or an, I'm on holidays, whereas, you know, if I'm if I'm working, I'll try to limit my uh, food intake at the beginning of the day. Yeah, awesome. Welcome to the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Michaelides, and our producer is Lauren Lapatko. Together, we're the co-founders of Graal, and our goal with the podcast is to build your knowledge, your skills, processes, tools, and mindset, which will ultimately make both you and I better individuals, professionals, business owners, or investors, whatever fits your profile. We do this by interviewing unique individuals that have included venture capitalists, bodybuilders, hedge fund managers, political activists, comedians, tech founders, chefs, rappers, and restaurateurs, to just name a few. You'll notice our style is conversational. It's always one-on-one, and we can go from 45 minutes to even two hours long. I'm inspired by the likes of Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, Charlie Rose, Oprah Winfrey, and Charlie Munger. So if you've liked their podcasts or interview styles, then you'll definitely like this. In particular, Charlie Munger inspired me to create this podcast and help you build your worldly wisdom. If you'd like to learn more about our previous guests, just hit each episode's profile in your podcast app, or you can head to neural.com slash podcast for our episode index. The first thing I'd like you to do as a listener is subscribe on your podcast app. Subscribing will give you priority access to future episodes and go a long way in helping fellow-minded listeners finding Uncommon. The second thing I'd like you to do is leave us an invaluable review on a new platform called Podchaser. Podchaser is the IMDB or I guess Rotten Tomatoes of podcasts and they have given Neural Uh, subscribers priority access to their beta launch in two minutes you can leave a review just proceed to www.beta.podchaser which is podchaser.com and type in the promo code uncommon when prompted alternatively we would love your review on itunes stitcher and the other platforms that you're using as well don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, or Instagram. The handle is at Neural. Each week, we'll have a promo for the episode that will go out on those platforms. Now, let's get into the episode. In this episode, we have for you one of the most brilliant young comedians in Australia, Neil Kolhatka. Neil is a comedian, content creator, presenter, and actor with a powerful audience built from his humble beginnings on his YouTube channel. 
which now has over 46 million views. Well known for satirical clips such as Australia in Two Minutes and my personal favourite, Modern Education, Neil is an incredibly intelligent comedy creator with an innate ability to pair back culture and society across a whole slew of different mediums. Neil is the first to admit that virality was what catapulted him into the ether of Australia's young comedy class, along with the likes of Josh Wade, Elliot Loney and Troy Kine. But I believe his incredible knowledge of science, society, new media and politics is what sets him apart. He is a free speech absolutist who gives significant nods to Louis C.K. and George Carlin, as well as Chris Rock, the type of comedian that pushes the boundaries of acceptability in society. Neil, in my mind, is Australia's millennial messenger of social truth, and I think that society is a whole lot better for people like him because it allows us to not take life too seriously. In terms of topics that we included in the episode, we spoke about the first time he noticed his knack for comedy and being an internet creator. Uh, We spoke about, in particular, modern education, which, again, I said is my favorite. I think that everyone um, in our generation should go and check out uh, his creative process, Rick and Morty and astrophysics, great comedians like Louis C.K., Chris Rock, George Carlin. Uh, We spoke about human biology, the media and where it's heading, stand-up and bombing, working alongside people like Josh Wade and Elliot Loney, and I guess common mistakes by comedy comedy novices as well. So I think if you enjoy this episode, if you'd like a laugh, some humor, I think you'll really enjoy my chat with Titus O'Reilly. That was episode 26 and we spoke about satire and sport. Um, if you want the show notes, they're just below this episode and you can head to neural.com slash podcast. But again, I think this episode will really showcase um, you know, the power of comedy to pair back society and I think Neil is such a great proponent of it. So I think without any further ado or ceremony, please enjoy this conversation with Neil Kohatka. All right, we're live. Neil? How's it going? Oh, pretty good. How are you? Yeah. Can't complain. It's got Look, a great view. I know. I think um I think that's the main pitch. Yeah. For an audio medium, isn't it? <laughs> How good is the view? Yeah. We have to use our words to describe it. How would you describe it? Expansive, tranquil, large, impressive. There's a lot of words I yeah. can say that would describe this view. We're, we're going to get video going. I don't know where to set it up, though. We've got cameras that I just ordered that are coming this week. Okay. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, do you have camera here, camera there? Just, you know, I'm guessing you've seen like Joe Rogan podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I you should mix it up and just, just do something completely weird with the cameras, like just have the cameras on our feet or something, <laughs> you know, see if people can tell when someone's <laughs> lying or something like that. And, it sounds like something you should do for a YouTube video. Yeah, just weird camera angles for podcasts. Yeah. Because that's what a lot of the podcasts that are filmed, they they tend to just have the one close up on two of the two of the people and then one wide shot with them both in. So, you yeah, know, you have, you have the opportunity to really change the game here. Yeah, revolutionize. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, win the Oscar for best, co- uh, best coverage of podcasts. I'm sure that's an Oscar category. If not, it will be soon. Exactly. Well, yeah. you know, with, with the way that media is going. Exactly. Now... For the audience who hasn't heard about you, mm-hmm. which they should have, who is Neil Kohatka? Who is he? He's an enigma. I don't know who he is. I'm still trying to work <laughs> that out. Uh, Neil Kohatka, I am a comedian slash actor. 
I started doing comedy uh, straight out of high school when I was 18, did a lot of the open mics and uh, built a bit of a name in the Sydney comedy circuit and then I got a bit of traction here at the Melbourne Comedy Festival and things like that. And at the same time, I developed a YouTube following. So yeah. I had a few viral videos. Um, Australian Two Minutes was the big <laughs> one back then that really took off and that was sort of a, a crazy amalgamation of uh, all the sort of geographical stereotypes in Australia and also just exaggerated to a point where they're just ridiculous and sarcastic and yeah. that really went nuts. Um, what, what was the response like for that? Ah, oh, huge. Like I just couldn't really even tell you because there were so many different responses and everyone knew about it and, and it's such a weird thing because I truly did just go viral overnight. <laughs> So, like, you know, no one knew me before that. And then within two days, I had I didn't leave my house for two days. I went outside, you know, went to the train station. People were like, oh, my God, is that the guy? Is that the guy? <laughs> really? Yeah, it was insane because, like, with a lot of other internet creators, they'll have a steady build-up. You know, they'll have a few videos that go, go well and then eventually more and more people will know them. With me, it was literally overnight. Wow. It just happened and, and that was... Uh, was confronting it wasn't it wasn't easy but i i mean i can't say i i didn't enjoy it <laughs> it yeah. was good um and then from there i've just built and tried to uh diversify my content online tried to do a few different things generally stayed um with the comedy side of things or the satire side and um just tried to build my um uh stand-up comedy following and post a few more stand-up clips online and and, and yeah, still going at it and still yeah. um, doing it full-time now. So that's all you can ask for in this industry. Mate, you're cruising. Uh, <laughs> I'm on cruise control. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's a good thing. Maybe I should be going faster then. Uh, well, look, I think if, if you're a comic and how old are you now? 23. If you're 23 and you're doing it full-time, I mean, that's – so you started when you were 18, five mm. years. That's pretty fucking good, man. Oh, yeah, I yeah. can't complain. Yeah. You know, I'm, in a, I'm in a good position. Hopefully, in another five years, I'm not, you know, burnt out in the gutter somewhere. <laughs> hey, I did Australian Two Minutes, remember me? <laughs> but what um, – when was the first time that you thought you were funny? Probably in, like, primary school um, – I don't know. I was always like the smaller kid. I think that probably played into like wanting attention and like using humor and, and my characters and, and things like that to, to get that if I I've probably like overanalyzed it in a very Freudian sense. Um, but yeah, probably around like primary school and then, and then high, early high school, um, I'd always get in. I was never like a really naughty kid, but I always get in trouble for like stupid things like trying to saying something dumb or saying, yeah. saying like a, a silly joke. Or, um, I don't know, making a stupid noise or something like that. So, I guess I was a bit of the class clown. <laughs> and I just, uh, I kept going with it. And, and I was doing a lot of acting and performing back then and public speaking. So, I was also a bit of a teacher's pet, which was weird because I was also in trouble a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I was just really sort of lively and energetic. And that sort of manifested itself into more improv and... From improv, I, I thought I'd try my hand at stand-up comedy. Yeah. And I went into that. And luckily, I'd had a lot of that sort of stage experience. So um, I wasn't too nervous on stage. And I think that probably helped me because at that age, a lot of the other kids doing the stand-up comedy competition, I think they probably even had better material than me back then. But they just were really nervous on stage. And I had my delivery kind of down pat. And that worked in my favor. And 
And that gave me a lot of confidence and I just kind of kept going from there. So was the catalyst that you were just doing drama and stuff at school and you just had the opportunity to do it then? Yeah, basically. Um, like I said, I was always uh, interested in acting and, and performing and um, there was a competition run by the Melbourne Comedy Festival called uh, Class Clowns. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. Uh, <laughs> a fitting name. Um <laughs> For high school students who want to try stand-up comedy, yeah. So I entered that in uh, in New South Wales, and there was only about what there was maybe like five people in the city of Sydney that did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they have all these other heats, so they'll have a heat in Newcastle, Wollongong, things like that. But like, it's funny because apparently in in um, Melbourne they have to do the heats over like four days. There's that many huge. people yeah. in Brisbane as well. There's like three days worth of heats. But in Sydney, it's like oh, four people. Yeah, yeah, not a very funny city. <laughs> apparently, I just maybe it's just you know the the pipeline is focused on Melbourne talent. I remember, yeah, at high school, a lot of the guys doing drama spoke about um, class kinds. I mean, I listened to do you know Arnie Donnerboys? Yeah, yeah. So listening to their podcast, apparently they did it. Seems like okay. everyone who gets into the the comedy fest has like at least tried to do it. They've or done, done something, it. haven't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great sort of breeding ground, <laughs> if you would use that term, uh, for the sort of next comedians that um, the festival can look out for in Australia. And I've got a lot to thank for that because uh, it, it's. I mean, it's just an like you know. Otherwise, you're limited to just like dingy pubs doing open mics and yeah when you're 15 that's probably not the best option so um it was good that i could do that and 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 sort of get that confidence under my belt and know that hey this is something i i enjoy and i like to think i can do so um from there it was i was pretty adamant this is definitely uh something i want to pursue after after high school yeah and so what did you do after that you went to uni yeah i did for a little bit well after i took a gap year and i actually focused quite a lot on comedy and 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 the youtube stuff funnily enough because back then that was so this was maybe five six years ago the youtube and and the internet was still a sort of niche thing like no one knew how big it was going to get whether it was going to get any bigger but Probably it was a combination of like right place, right time. Like being my age, some people were just starting to really get into the internet creators, and I, and I knew how powerful a medium it can be for for uh, generating a fan base. So, yeah. um, I tried to really push that, and um, that wasn't easy. You know, I was saying all that stuff about like Australian two minutes going viral overnight. I still had um, maybe a thousand or a couple of thousand followers or subscribers before that. And the initial few are really difficult to get, yeah. Because back then, um, the Facebook feed was different. Where like, if if someone liked a video, it didn't necessarily show up in their friends' feeds. They had to share it, right? And um, so basically, you had to create content that went viral by people sharing it only, and and usually it was on YouTube. So, if anything, it was probably harder back then yeah. than, than now. Um, you, you would have also had less eyeballs as well on yeah. things like YouTube and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So there wasn't, you know, as many people on uh, those platforms as there are today. And I still felt like this was like a growing uh, trend. And, and I think I, I sort of, I I wouldn't say I predicted, but I, I had a hunch that this may be like the future. And a, a lot of people should really, uh, entertainers in particular, focus a lot of energy on it there were a few american comedians that had been using like myspace like dane cook got really big on myspace oh, really? yeah russell peters um napster oh not Na- no russell peters it was youtube 
Um, and he's he's a mega he's a global uh, phenomenon really, but he's still a sort of not like a household name, which is the funny thing about <laughs> people who do it on the internet. Um, and even someone like Joe Avardi, who's Australian, um, he was telling me like in the late nineties he um, managed to like get quite big in in sort of Canada and that through Napster. So it was like an <laughs> audio track that people downloaded illegally. What and, the fuck? And yeah, I know, right? And then and then he sold out theaters in like. When he was sort of like 27, 28, he was selling out big theatres in Canada and no one even really knew him here. Yeah. Other than, Like in the Italian community, he's really big, but he's probably one of the biggest comedians in Australia, but it's, he's not like a household name. Yeah, I've never heard of him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Most people haven't. That's the funny thing. Uh, but he's huge over overseas. And, and yeah. even overseas, it's not like he's like a household name, but like within his community and within like his audience, he's, he's so well known. Yeah, he's crushing it. And he's a baller. I love that guy. <laughs> like I went on tour with him once and he just has like like he'll have like a Lamborghini in Sydney and he'll fly to <laughs> Melbourne. Then he just goes to this car park. There's like a Ferrari here. And he's just he's like such a rock star. Yeah. It's great. Do you think what was the catalyst for you where you went, fuck, this internet thing is gonna be huge? Was it Australian two minutes? Probably before that, to be honest, uh, like I was saying, I was probably lucky in that um, just when I was sort of in late high school, people my age were really starting to get on board with internet creators and really sort of look to them as like the people that they um, watch and, and they look to those people for entertainment. Um, Superwog got really big uh, <laughs> when I was in high school. And like everyone was talking about them, everyone yeah. everyone was saying their lines in the in the classroom and things like that. Alex Williamson as yeah. well, probably like about a year or two after I finished high school, he was really going well there. And that's probably when I I sort of knew this was like this was a big growing growing trend, and yeah, and this was maybe the future. So probably before I even started doing more of the videos, I was always doing kind of sketches, but. I never really thought about like actually trying to like gain an audience and, and go viral. I was just kind of putting out sketches between, you know, a few mates and, and yeah. things like that and just silly little ones that would be shared around like the school, but nothing, nothing where I put a lot of effort into. And then sort of, yeah, when I was 18, 19, I tried to do a bit, a bit more in, on that sense and tried to think about, you know, what, what are the sort of things that will go viral and, try to observe a lot more of the other like creators and 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 try to take into account like what they were doing and and i will admit like i know i get a lot of criticism on like uh there's a guy out there called filthy frank um i don't know if you know him but yeah 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 so like a lot of people um will say you know i copied him i copied him and like i'll admit well, it's totally different i know it's it's different like if you look at his early video he, do, he does like um uh he'll do videos like uh like 50, 20 accurate accents in two minutes these are like i know now the old stuff really different yeah, yeah i'm talking about his old stuff and like yeah i'll admit like i credit him in the videos and i say inspired by filthy frank like the style is exactly yeah. the same like i just adapted it to australia um i'm not ashamed to say that like i credit him and everything um but yeah look a lot of his fans and things uh they got pretty <laughs> cut about that um, it's amazing though how people have that because like I mean if you look at someone like a Casey Neistat on YouTube mm -hmm. like his style is literally um, that guy who does the really preposterous films and they're sort of cartoony anyway I've just blanked on his name but it's sort of like it's like okay this is clearly this guy's style this mm -hmm. this um, 
filmmaker style and then he's taken other bits and made it his own i just don't ever understand that it's weird how people can be like purists you know like oh my god you've copied x person yeah it's like well like it sort of reminds me of like you know the myspace days where you'd have like your different pages and people like oh you copied that person yeah (laughs) yeah i know it's it's funny people are too protective of that sort of stuff i think um there's reasonable claims and things like that if people like hands down like taking something down and just re-uploading it that's obviously oh, yeah, yeah. terrible if people are like not crediting people properly and, and things like that like i made sure i credited filthy frank and i said hey the style is the same um and look it was essentially just quick cuts of impressions like that i don't think he sort of invented that anyway i'm sure there's like <laughs> videos out there where it's like hey australian do an impression hey germany do an impression like that's essentially what it is the only thing that was like probably uh the big thing that i found hilarious and i thought was super clever was the repetition so like what i do in australian to me is how it's just like um you know oh what are you looking at brawl smash and then it's like this it's it's exactly the same (laughs) yeah which is really funny which i did get that idea from from him like there's videos where he does that um and like yeah i'm like totally happy to admit that like there's nothing i don't feel like i've stolen anything i don't feel bad in any way um and i've credited him in all the videos even at the beginning and the titles and things like that so um yeah Yeah. look the the internet for me especially those early internet days it was all about just like get an audience get an audience get an audience i want to just get an audience and then be able to do what i actually want to do yeah uh, which is kind of more what i'm doing now which i'm you know and i'm pretty lucky that i'm able to do that yeah so in those early days how did you you know pay your way were you just trying to get as many startup shows where you're just like hustling on the side, doing some shitty job. What was it like? Um, I was lucky. Like, I had a bit of a part-time job after high school. I was a swimming teacher. Okay. So that's a bit different, isn't it? Yeah, I was teaching little kids how to swim, doing the whole bubble, bubble, breathe thing. And I don't know, with swimming, there's some obsession with like early mornings. They're obsessed about getting there at like 5 a.m. and that. And these were all like Saturday mornings. Oh. And I'm like 18. So, you know, I'm going out the night before and – like just stupidly hungover, so <laughs> I didn't last very long in that job. Um, I didn't mind it, but it was now something I really wanted to do. I can't say I was too upset when they. Uh, well, what actually happened was a ki- well, a kid nearly drowned, <laughs> not because of me, uh, <laughs> but another kid tried to drown another kid, and I had my back turned, and there was a big fiasco, and they were like, they blamed me for it, which, look, yeah, okay, I, I was, the, you know, I probably failed my duty of care. Luckily, the kid's okay, he's fine. I mean, physically, physically he's fine, <laughs> maybe mentally, I don't know, maybe he's a drug addict by now, who knows, but look, there were about seven, you know, at least nine kids in this little pool, and I was focusing on the other ones. I literally had my back turned for maybe 20 seconds, and... Yeah, turn around, he's bawling his eyes out. I felt bad. I felt pretty guilty, obviously, because, you know, you thought, wow, if something actually had happened, that would have been yeah. pretty bad. And, but all the parents sit there as well. None of them did anything. That's you know? that, Yeah, I've always thought that, looking so, at those things. Yeah. They used to have them at my old school and around the corner, they had like a swimming pool and just really weird sort of watching all these people just sit around, just like not talk to each other, but watch their kids. In this sort of really weird way, but anyway. Actually, I never thought about that. It is weird when you think about it. Yeah, like the, the parents just sitting there, just I'll just watch my kid. Like either just watching their kid, like well done, Johnny, or like now just you know sitting, looking on 
their phone. It's just yeah. know, something weird about it. Like, and because they weird, sit around the pool and everything, it's sort of like cold. It looks like a sort of cult if you were looking. Yeah, <laughs> like they're, 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 they're like doing something to the kid, you know. This is the rite of passage. <laughs> Trust drown me, the kid. <laughs> <laughs> Let him drown. Um, now, for you, you were saying before about like virality and all that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, um, I think, what a lot of people would know you for now is modern education. Yeah. Education. Education, yeah. How, wh- how the hell did you come up with that? Um, there's a lot of factors that probably led me to create that one. Ironically enough, it was probably some of those early videos that I will admit were, yeah, they were like lowbrow and, and things like that. But they started getting a lot of criticism of like, this is racist, this is wrong. And I was getting a bit confused by that. And I was getting a bit defensive about that. Like, I totally would agree if they were like, oh, you know, this is lowbrow, or this is stupid or whatever. Like, I don't mind about that criticism. That's a fair criticism. But when they start saying, yeah, r- racist and, and sexist and things like that, I was a bit, now nah, hang on a second. Like, let's let's calm down. Let's see where the real um, forces of those, uh, you know, for- forces of racism and sexism actually are in society and try to, target those i'm not trying to deflect criticism like maybe some of my jokes and videos do uh go over the line but surely there are you know more important things to worry about and 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 i would dispute most of those claims with no they're ironic like a lot of my videos are very ironic and and caustic and very sarcastic in the way i i um um produce them and and um deliver them but also, I you know you generally just observed among the the media and uh, particularly in the comedy scene, uh, in the live comedy scene in Australia, it was uh, very uh, very left leaning. Which it is, which is weird. It is, yeah. yeah. I in, mean, in America, not so much. It's very much straight down the line. It's very different in America, which yeah. I find quite interesting. And and even then, in Australia, it's probably more the sort of younger generation that has made it that way. Um, you see some of the older comics and I get it. Like some of their stuff is a bit, you know, I wouldn't say basic, but it's a bit, uh, just very one dimensional. Yeah. One dimensional and could be offensive to some people, but then the, the sort of newer generation is, I think swung the pendulum so far the other way that they've just lost what, they've just lost the actual meaning of comedy in my opinion. Like a lot of them, they're just trying to police every little thing and every joke that's it. And that is what is funny, saying things that are inappropriate and that you're not supposed to say. So it makes people laugh. That's exactly what comedy is, you know, and they've, they've ruined that and they've made it activism. (laughs) And that's, that's not funny. Like a lot of the stuff they'll, they'll say, you know, you agree with, but you're like, where's the joke? Where's the humor? You got to flip the topic on its head. You got to say some sort of misdirectional line here or there. But they, they don't. It's it's just like some very vague semblance of irony in there. But you know, in my and, and admittedly in my you know limited experience as a comedian as well, uh, it's just the 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 depth of the comedy there. It's it's not really there, and it's yeah. more about it's. I think making a point and having sort of nuanced comedy is important, but ultimately be, be funny and of course that's subjective but for these guys it's like not even an issue like whether i'm funny or not oh it doesn't even matter as long as i'm like saying the right things yeah yeah and that's not common that's especially not stand-up comedy in yeah. my opinion and i guess that also played into my mind so there was that sort of like overarching um cultural backdrop that i was um 
sort of part off and experiencing quite a bit off. And, you know, most of my comedy wasn't even, it, and it still isn't, it's not that bad or anything. I don't rate it as that bad, but there are one or two jokes, you know, that people would say are racist and things like that. Um, and that in tandem with, you know, all the sort of pushback that was happening in the media and on the internet and on social media and all of that really just um, turned me against a lot of it and made me want to create something and say something and not just in a reactionary way of like, oh, political correctness gone mad, really get to the bottom of it and to the crux of, um, you know, the, the actual cultural Marxism that these kind yeah. of viewpoints really um, illustrate and are trying to um, uh, put out there. And I think I, I did that quite well, I like yeah. to think, with modern education. It was and- it was brilliant. I mean, the fact that you had... <clears throat> You had all sorts of sides of politics, but particularly from people in that centre bracket. Mm-hmm. And like, admittedly, you've got people on the right, but it's weird for me to say that mm-hmm. people on the right have become the defenders of free speech. They have, and which you is know, bizarro. Like that, I'm even siding with them. But I, it, I'm in that's the, the scenario where, right? yeah, <laughs> I'm in the exact same boat. There, the older I get, the more I sort of think about what are people on the right actually saying. None of, for the most part, none of what they're saying is actually that racist or sexist. They're really just no. trying to make logical, rational, reasonable points. And that's the sad thing. Like, there's so much overreaction from the left that the actual um, instances of racism, sexism, etc., um, sort of get sort of grouped in with yeah. the, the other things that they say and... And ignored. Yeah, and it's almost like this weird guilt that you have because, you know, yeah, as I'm sure you'd know, like, when One Education did come out, there was a huge... Um, audience on the on the right and on the American right and on the American yeah. Christian right that really loved it and you know being so far be, being generally like seeing myself as someone on the left um, you know generally when you're young and, and things like that and especially um, this generation you tend to think that's the the right thing to do and that's the right thing to be to be uh, on the left <laughs> that's a bit convoluted there but um that also made me think, why am I ashamed? If So what if people on the Christian right are liking my content? Like, why should I be yeah. ashamed of that? What's wrong with that? That's nothing. These people aren't that They're not despicable. subhuman. Yeah, yeah, they're not these like immoral beings that the left points them out to be. And and then I almost felt guilty at myself for feeling that way. And And the more and more I think about it, the more and more I do tend to side with them and, and think that there is this sort of indoctrination that's, that's going on and which is so fucked it is it really is it's it's scary and you know um, i was gonna say because this is why i love your stuff so much and and i think with a lot of comedians in general and people who focus on satire is um you're just so straight down the line about what is happening in society that like i love george cullen yeah me too absolutely and um yeah i think with this in particular i mean a lot of people, a lot of my friends agree anyway. Like, I, there's not that many people who agree with this ridiculousness coming from the left or the right of politics. Mm-hmm. It's like the 1% of 1% of people. But it's like they're dispersing it through media and they're convincing people that saying someone is a racist because they have a certain opinion is an okay thing, which mm-hmm. is fucking bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I found that... It's just, yeah, this whole SJW political correctness has gone mad. I, I love Sam Harris. I don't know if you know of Sam Harris. I know Sam, yeah. 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 And he, he was just talking about how 
the entire election was really a repudiation of the left in a way. It really was. Um, yeah. And people still don't get it. They're still not getting it. <laughs> when they go that. on these talk shows and they yeah. tell people they're despicable for having a viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um as opposed to asking why they have that viewpoint, is the viewpoint that I have the correct one biologically or otherwise? Mm-hmm. Like all of these things and it's just um, it's quite remarkable. It's a weird time to be. To be it around. is, isn't it? And there's still a lot of guilt associated with – I think there's a, that sort of new centre emerging that like people like – I don't know if you know Dave Rubin. Yeah, he Dave, does, love Dave Rubin. Yeah, Dave Rubin. He talks about that quite a lot. And Jordan um, Peterson, although he's a bit religious. Yeah, yeah see, but that's the, that's the yeah. thing about the, I think that sort of emerging centre, um, as Dave Rubin calls it, that – I, like you should we shouldn't feel like oh they're religious therefore like they're, yeah. they're stupid or anything like that I think we need it that's probably what got us into this position in the first place yeah and um, Jordan Peterson is an extremely inte- like he's smarter than I am like <laughs> hands down um, so you know the, there's obviously a lot of merit into the viewpoints that he does hold and and I think we have to hear everyone out um, there's a lot of yeah characterizations going on for, on both sides of politics really you know the 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 left probably sees everyone on the right as just racist bigots and the right probably sees everyone on the left as just Pixies crazy and, SJWs yeah, yeah. and snowflakes and all that. And and like you said, 80 to 90% of people, the vast majority of people lie somewhere in a very reasonable centre that that reject the, the crazies on both sides. And, and that's like the vast majority of the population, I think. Yeah. Um, like to take an example, like if I sit down with... Um, my partner, who's also my co-founder in this little project, mm-hmm. you know, she's not going to say to me, look, I'm a feminist, but we both agree that at the end of the day, like, you need a workplace where it's basically the same evenness to get a job, mm-hmm. but also we realize that historically or socially historically that men were the dominant people in the workplace and it's mm-hmm. no surprise that there's a earnings gap because most of the men at the latter stage of their life are now on boards, directorships, et cetera. So they've got mm-hmm. shares. They're not they're not sitting on salaries and like like for like, mm-hmm. you know, you're not gonna have an issue with with wages mm. because that would be illegal. It comes down to what is real equality? Is it equality of outcome or equality of opportunity? And I'll fight like tooth and nail for equality of opportunity. Yeah. If you can show me um, legitimate instances where women are being discriminated against um, and not having the same opportunity as a man, then hands down, like that's wrong and I would fight against that. But if you're like the, the gender pay gap, that's not enough of ev- That's not evident. That's evidence to s- say that um, women as a whole, not it's not per hour, it's as a, as a whole on their income. Yeah. It's a uh, miscommunication like 70% of, of yeah. what a man does. There's nothing to suggest that that's all as a result of discrimination. There's nothing to suggest it's not either, yeah. but that's not enough evidence to go on and say, oh, there's that much discrimination. Um, there's so many other factors, biological factors. Sure, there's some social and cultural factors. Yeah. Um, factors about, you know, what jobs they choose, what roles, what what makes them happy in life. And there's so many, you know, the, the, dan- the men definitely take a lot more dangerous jobs and things like that. So there's a huge discussion to be had about this. Yeah. And to just suggest, like, here's just one, like, um, you know, <laughs> piece of evidence. There's, there's, therefore, there's, that's the situation. Yeah. Like, it has to be discrimination. And yeah. I get, like, I'm not trying to, um, deflect here. Like, I, I don't doubt that there might, 
that yeah. I'm sure there is some discrimination. I, I, I'm sure there is some racial discrimination in a lot of uh, workplaces as well, but we need to think about, you know, how exactly do we fight that? Yeah, exactly. Like I've got a, one of my best mates. He's, um, he's black from Zimbabwe and he's mm-hmm. got a fun, you know, a funny name to people who um, aren't used to it. So he puts his name just as John. Mm-hmm. So there's no, you know, nothing that they could look at and go, okay, mm-hmm. this is a bit different. Maybe I won't consider it, blah, blah, blah. Um, because, you know, he's done a test where he goes and puts his name as his real name mm-hmm. and puts his name down as John and the response is overwhelmingly positive to John. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we working through that is easy, like, but, you know, to blatantly say that there's untold institutional racism and stuff like that in the workplace is ridiculous. Yeah. Because the Fair Work Ombudsman and all the other policy that's been put in place for the last 30 years just wouldn't allow it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, that's that, I think that's what a lot Agreed. of people yeah. like are just frustrated by, and I think that's why your comedy is so fantastic because it just cuts through all that bullshit and just highlights how oh, ridiculous thanks. things are. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. What um, I was going to I just want to go back to maybe your sort of creative process because I'm just wondering how did you, you know, how do you come up with that? Are you just like always writing or, you know, how are you coming up with ideas constantly? Like obviously you were saying before with this, with modern education, it just sort of clicked, you know, it would have been yeah. a whole bunch of reading, watching, et cetera. Mm. How do you go week to week coming up? with ideas i'm not the sort of comedian that can sit down and just write i have to have some sort of you know inspiration or be passionate about a particular issue um and really have something i want to say to to especially when we're talking about the the short films like your modern education privilege game etc um so there's no one process that i can say um i abide by each and every time they're different all the time um it really just it it's all dependent on my environment you know that's like sort of my close work environment my family environment the media landscape the environment my country environment all (laughs) all things like that they all influence me and um they influence what i want to say and what sort of content i want to put out there so um so who are you regularly watching what what is regularly influencing you? I've sort of turned away from television. First of all, I don't yeah. really watch any Australian TV. Um, <laughs> I, it's I, funny you mentioned that because I went. I go to my parents maybe once every six weeks. Go for dinner on a Sunday, and yeah. I just saw the TV again and the ads. Fuck! It's the most obtrusive thing I've ever yeah, gone through. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But like now we've just got like, we why just do have you watch U- that. Yeah, we've just got YouTube and Netflix connected up. Yeah, so it's just I like think, over the yeah. top, you know. Most people in their twenties and stuff don't really watch uh, too much TV. I'll still tune in a little bit now and again. I watch sport. If I've got nothing to do, I might just chuck on the news and you know have a look and things like that. But then it's hard to look past it. Either the, the sensationalism of your channel seven and nine, or the sort of bias of your ABC, I just can't get past either of those things, to be honest. Um, so I've been watching a lot of, yeah, probably a lot more. Actually, from doing modern education is when I started getting into a bit more of the YouTube scene of this. I guess like 
I wouldn't call it. It's not. They're not right wing. Like this new center, I suppose. Like yeah, yeah. Your, your Dave Rubens and and yeah, Sam Harris, but definitely Ruben to a to a huge extent. Like that yeah. guy has really influenced me a lot. Um, Peterson. Yeah, Peterson. Rogan. Yeah, Rogan. Even the ones on the right that that uh, are quite um, vocal about this issue. So your Gavin McInnes and um, what's it, Ben Shapiro? You know. Yeah, I like Ben Shapiro. I find Gavin McInnes can just be a bit ridiculous sometimes. Yeah, yeah but like that's it. He's a troll, basically. Yeah. You know, him and Milo, they're both they're 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 provocateurs. So I don't think ultimately that 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 strategy, what it does, it gains yeah. a lot of attention. It gains a lot of short term attention, but probably in the long term, it's probably not the best strategy because no. it sort of plays into the idea of well, they actually are like <laughs> racists and yeah, sexists. Yeah. And it's it becomes very disingenuous over the long term. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Having said that, I I would be lying if I if I said I wouldn't watch you know my own Gavin <laughs> and just laugh like hysterically. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, because they can be very flamboyant and full on, it sort mm-hmm. of yeah, it makes you examine things. And it, I I can understand if you're doing satire because that's what satire is. It can help you with that, you know, by by sh- showcasing in the way that they would as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I, I agree with you in saying, yeah, like, like ultimately they're probably not the best solution, but they are, you know, they have some advantages and I do watch. Sometimes what they say, they do make me think about things. Yeah. You know, they put it so far, you know, on the other side that I'm like, well, actually, no, I have to think about that a bit more. Um, I've been watching a guy called, uh, I don't know, it's, it's left-leaning, it's very uh, secular talk. Oh, yeah. Um, so I've been watching him quite a bit. Um, do you watch Vox or anything like that? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't watch a lot of Vox. Um, yeah, they're they're more of the stuff that on the left that I'll be watching. You okay, know, it's quite interesting. Yeah, like, okay. Politics and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Do so you, is this a YouTube channel or? Yeah, Vox. Yeah, okay. Vox Media is just like a large media organization, but um, I know some. I've read some of their articles when they go viral and that. Yeah, but. yeah. They they have really good videos. Actually, it's funny because like they're literally like the Atlantic and all those sorts, but um. I don't know. They destroy the Atlantic or the Washington Post on right. YouTube. Like their their videos do blow up big time. Okay. Um, I think I read this one Vox article that went really viral after Donald Trump won, and that was about the um, condescending, um, the very condescending liberalism that has appeared in America. Yeah. In the way that you know the the coastal states, the the, the coastal liberals really look down and, and sneer upon the. Uh, middle Americans, yeah. and that was a big symptom as to well why Donald Trump won. And I think, yeah, I think um they were very good like that, and uh, but also you know they can they can smash the Republicans for things like healthcare policy, which I think they're quite smart at. Um, do you watch like w- what do you watch outside of uh, politics? Um, I obviously watch as much stand up comedy as I can. I listen. I've been listening to a lot of comedy albums. Um, so like, yeah, I love George Carlin. I've always loved Chris Rock. He's been my favorite. Um, Louis, Bill Burr, Jim Jeffries, all those guys. I, yeah. actually, I like Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer. I was talking to a friend about this earlier. Like she's sort of become this poster girl for like the left and like, oh, if you don't laugh at her, you're sexist and things like that. But I actually just genuinely find yeah. her funny. I think she's funny. Like I actually feel bad that she sort of had to um, deal with that deal with that because she's actually just quite funny like and a lot of her jokes are quite inappropriate and like they're not at all like like uh, if, if anything they're sort of 
real hard left have almost gone after her for a few things recently. And, um, yeah, that sort of dynamic is quite interesting. I don't know if you watch South Park, but yeah, that, that was really funny involving her and Cartman. That was good. I love South, like the few, the few recent seasons of South Park. I absolutely love all the animation shows. Like that style of satire is my sense of humor to a T. Like, yeah, early Simpsons, latest South Park, American Dad. I love American Dad. Um, Futurama, Rick and Morty. I yeah. are now like I think I rate that so highly. I, I, I would put like that as probably genius. you know if we would say The Simpsons is like our generations when we we're like kids, the yeah. elite TV show. Mm-hmm. I like cartoon. I would say that probably Rick and Morty will be up there for our you know that that twenty to thirty oh. year old bracket. Yeah, yeah, I think so because yeah, I just watch it now and I love like because they can just transcend they can just sort of switch between like just literal toilet humor <laughs> and like you know rick just farting all the time or, whatever. or like they fall into like like he does his portal guns and they fall into a planet of just busts <laughs> and they're just bouncing on the bus but like the, the actual like the physics and the, the sort of thought and imagination behind the whole world and environment that they've created is so interesting and actually funnily enough i've been watching a lot of um sort of space channels after that oh really yeah trying to like understand physics a bit more because so much is happening on that side of things <laughs> in the last few years. Um, obviously, with Elon Musk with SpaceX is driving a lot of that. Um, but I've been watching this one channel, uh, PBS Space Time. That one's really, really good. I've yeah. learned a lot. Um, Have you seen Neil deGrasse Tyson's series? Co- yeah, the, it's Cosmos. That yeah, one? the Cosmos. Yeah, yeah. Love it. The love original, it. The original Cosmos with um, Carl what's Sagan. Carl Sagan is yeah. like, I mean, I know cinematically – Neil deGrasse Tyson's is way better, but the original is just, um, yeah, it's unbelievable. Okay, yeah, no, I haven't seen that. I'll have yeah. to watch that one. But Neil Neil does it so well, man. I love that guy. Like he's start, start he's so commanding. Like, you, know, yeah. you, just, you have to listen to him with that voice, just so commanding. Yeah, it's it's amazing sometimes. Like As I've started doing podcasting, I wish, like, fuck, I wish I had that. <laughs> the voice of, like, Neil deGrasse Tyson yeah. <laughs> or something yeah, like so that. so much charisma. Yeah. I wouldn't even call it charisma, just, just like, authority in his voice. Pre- yeah, like, and presence and authority. And wise, you yeah. know? You just want to listen to him. Yeah, you, you can tell that he's confident and, and succinct in what he's saying. I mean, it's sort of, I think with anyone that has a high IQ but also a strong level of emotional intelligence, when they mm-hmm. communicate, they communicate in a way where they're only going to do it when they, you know, they want to and they have mm-hmm. something to say. And then when they have something to say, it's like momentous. Yeah. No, that's really profound. Yeah. I, I agree with that as well. Yeah. yeah. Like I've, I found that just watching, like, because my brother's got a very high IQ, but he's also very, um, you know, emotionally intelligent because mm-hmm. I got him into doing like hospitality when um, when he was a young kid. Okay. Um, because I worked in restaurants and yeah, you can just tell when that, you know, he doesn't speak often, but when he does, it's like, it's got a lot of weight to it. Yeah. And sort of similar with um, some, you know, like any person like Neil, any of those sort of science communicators. Mm-hmm. Tell me, um, yeah, I was, I'm intrigued then. Are you going through like sort of a science physics stage at the moment? Have you found like Khan, Khan Academy or anything like that? No, what's that one? I have to. So Khan Academy is like a free um, online education system, basically. Okay. So you could do like uh, year 11, 12, like physics. Right. I, like when I was like, tw- just after I finished uni, like 21, 22, I had the same thing. So I started like going on and watching all the videos, doing all the classes around. Physics is quite intriguing. And then you might have um, 
Uh, seven easy pieces. Seven easy pieces. Who's the most famous physicist? Not um, Einstein, but the guy Richard Feynman. Oh yeah, you know Feynman. Um, well, I know him from Feynman diagrams. <laughs> so yeah, you would really enjoy this doco about his life. It's not fantastic, okay. Mister Feynman. It's like surely you're joking, Mister. I got like seven of his books here. Okay, wow. Yeah. Um, you'd probably really enjoy that because he was. I would say he's probably the greatest science communicator, particularly when it comes to just raw physics, that you'll ever find. Like, I, okay, I knew great. nothing about energy and energy, you know, like how energy doesn't disperse, it just converts from one form to another. Mm-hmm. I, had, I No physics teacher at high school could communicate that to me, but Richard, yeah. F- Richard Feynman was able to do it. Wow, yeah, because some of those concepts are just so complex. Like, it's, it's really hard to wrap your head around. Even just the Einstein one that time is relative i mean mm. that i still struggle like i know that's a phys- like that's a fact in physics but yeah. i still struggle to really get my head around that but also that it's not a fact because the thing with um relativity theory or um you know general theory of relativity is mm-hmm. that quantum mechanics also proves it wrong so it's also real right. but it's not because okay. the thing with quantum mechanics is an atom um, an atom or a photon can be in one place at a time, but also it can't. That's why we have like, you know, quantum computers, how you can have zeros and ones moving at the same time. Uh, is this all related to like the multiverse and the, the quantum mechanics? That's a, I think that? that's a little bit different. Okay. I, um, I don't, I don't know much about multiverses. I know that, um, because it can mathematically exist, it does, which is yeah. fucking crazy to get your head around because then you get into like, Simulation theory, you read about yeah. that? You know, vaguely, very vaguely. Like the theory that because... So basically, you got, you know, the game Pong. Yeah. So basically, we've gone from Pong to VR headsets now where yeah. life is almost... Like the game is also getting getting sort of realistic to the point of realistic. But Also, yeah, the chances that we might be in a simulation, that sort yeah, of... Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. because we can now do that and over time it's likely that we'll produce VR where you won't even know if you're in reality or not. Mm-hmm. Because that is possible, therefore a simulation of this world and this life is possible. Yeah, I think there were Elon Musk was saying with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, there was something like the chance that we're not in a simulation is so minuscule because if there's like billions of people on this planet and like you said, there's um, technology that, you know, that will suggest that we can easily create VR within hundreds of years probably that can simulate life so identical to actual life that as we know it, that we wouldn't know the difference. And if, you know, 6 billion people have access to that technology, our world as we know it could easily be, you know, any one of those six billion people's um, simulation, yeah, which I still I find is mental. Yeah, but then again, you just think about the scope and the scale, and at the same time, the sort of perfect ratios of the universe, and and that's almost a religious argument. Then, if I did say like, surely it must be like a simulation, <laughs> but it's so huge and it's so just like confronting to even just ponder like. The, the scope, like, I mean, we're, what, like four light years away is the closest star and they're actually going to get there. Well, Project Starshot, they want to actually get there. But yeah. I was like, I want to be alive when they send their photos back. So they're trying to do it by, by the 2040s. They launch the things and then 
in another 25 years. They think they'll have, they think it'll reach there in 20 years and then it'll take five years for the images to come back. Wow. So in the mid 2070s, no, the mid 2060s is maybe like by 2070, we might have images of like the closest exoplanet of <laughs> Alpha. So I want to be, I, I, like, that's my goal. I want to be alive would, in 2070. I'd be 76. Would you go to Mars? First comedian on Mars. Um, <laughs> it's tempting. It is tempting because, like, throughout human history, the whenever like humans have sort of moved away from their sort of home habitat, they've advanced. You know, well, yeah. I mean, that's now a, probably a controversial statement to say that, but like technologically and things like that, they've they've, they've yeah. advanced. They've bettered themselves. So the chances are, if there is a society on Mars, it probably it could be like a better one. It, but at the start, who knows? It might not be. Yeah. So it's a it's a funny thing. It's I, a dilemma. Isn't I think it? if you're driving um, society that far forward to do something like Mars, it just means that society as a whole, whether here or on Mars, will just gra- you know exponentially improve mm. over many different things. Yeah. If yeah. we can do that, like yeah, we can do anything basically. So yeah. Um. You'd really like a book that I've read recently. It's probably the most formative book I've ever read. It's called Sapiens, A Brief History of Human Time. I've heard someone recommend that to me before, actually. Yeah. Who's it? Who's it? Um, so Yuval Noah Harari. He's like okay. a history professor um, from Israel. And it's basically a book about the human species mm-hmm. and sort of commenta- commentating on us as if, you know, like as we are just a species, like any animal. So it's it's very intriguing to show, like little things. The fact that we can believe in stories is um, and communicate is probably our most mm-hmm. advanced feature. Like the ability, the fact that we can communicate. Um, he speaks about it in particular, like if you're on a hunting trip and you're down, um, you know, by a creek, it's a lot easier to communicate with words that there's a lion like two mountains over than it is to, like, do it in hand signals or drawings or anything like that. Um, That's why they're saying voice in terms of media platforms is going to be the most dominant um, over the next 20 years. Um, Right. Yeah, but so things like that um, and the fact that, like, we believe in stories, like, you know, you got to think about it. Like, the company Peugeot, what, what even is it? Like, it's just a thing that we've made up in our head. You know, in what sense? Like, like it, like it's just an I. Peugeot doesn't exist. It doesn't exist scientifically. Like it's not a tangible entity. Yeah, in like that it, sense. In, in terms of physics, it, same thing with money, and that's so, why money doesn't it exist as a brand or? Yeah, well, it does, but that's just because you and I, you or I believe it's the in way it. we sort of conceptualize it. <clears throat> exactly, and that's okay. why he speaks about like money is um, probably one of the greatest. Um, invented stories that we've ever come up with because it allows us to allocate like resources because previously you would just trade right yeah and now we all believe in this piece of paper and it's a store of value and allows us to you know get things that would never exist in this particular ecosystem before and get it from one place to another so that does sound that sounds really interesting i just remember yeah my friend jordan Ah, uh, from Friendly Geordies. I don't know if you've... Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, he recommended that book, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And he said a lot of CEOs really, uh, I think, have learnt a lot from that book. Yeah. And, yeah, and it, it talks about, like, sort of the competitive nature and how we're still not, like, we're basically, yeah, as you said, like a species and we're never, like, really immune to those, like, animal instincts of competition and self-interest. And, no. 
it, yeah. it really grounds you because it shows you things like um, the six other uh, homo, se- homo species like mm-hmm. from that family tree and how the average lifespan or the longest lifespan is like six to three to six million years, but the average lifespan is like one to one and a half million years for each subspecies. So, right. you know, it shows that our probability of succeeding past that is actually quite low, which is a scary fucking thought. And it just makes you think right. like, man, we, we need to get to Mars ASAP. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Prob- and at what point is there then like a split in the, in the species? Because if there's an entire colony on Mars. Well, this is the thing, right? So, these um, species either branched out from an, a certain type of primate mm-hmm. or um, so like, you know, we're cousins to the chimpanzee, mm-hmm. but um, Neanderthals are like from a totally different form of primate, I believe. I got a, I've actually had, really? a, I had a guest on um, on the program who's like really into like evolutionary biology. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually like a personal trainer, but he's amazing when it comes to his knowledge of evolutionary biology. So okay. um, people should go back and have a listen to that because his talk about um, you know, the different branches of the species of humans is quite fascinating. Um, right. Like they're, they're saying, you know, like there was like a pygmy version of humans that lived on the In, islands Indonesia, around, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, around Indonesia. Um, and like the, you know, little things like um, we, we, like our species has only existed for about, I don't know, 250,000 to 500,000 years or something like that. Okay. But all the other species were still in existence at the same time. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. like, we were living side by side Neanderthals, and that's why. Oh, yeah, that's I knew that. The yeah. dominant, yeah, the dominant theory is that we probably killed them, killed them off either through um, taking all of the resources, like food and stuff, where they were living, or mm-hmm. we actually just killed them, which is quite intriguing. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess that's that's you know survival of the fittest, isn't it? Exactly. Species are always killing other species off, and. That's what, you know, forces the mutations in the DNA and, and evolution, right? <laughs> exactly. Like Tell me. Um, yeah, but then, then like different races as well. I mean, like we're all still the one human race, but I mean, if, if you know, if we hadn't invented maybe it, you, ship travel and things like that, it could have gotten to a point where, who knows, like the, the Native Americans could have, you know, evolved to the point where they could no longer breed with the... Um, you know, humans in Europe and things like that. And then that's when it's a different species. Yeah. But this is the thing which you find which you find intriguing from the book is you, you sort of learn that things like race and colour and all that, like they are literally at the end of the day, all of our DNA is exactly the same. Is it? Okay, so it's still um, all exactly the same. Right? The only yeah, difference okay. from say like um the main thing is polymorphism. So like when you go and get a DNA test, you're not actually getting your DNA mapped. You're getting the end uh, strands of the DNA, the thing, uh, these polymorphisms, the things that distinctly, like the way I put it is, let's say this is a packet of DNA, that's the recipe to make a human, mm-hmm. and this other packet here is a recipe to make a Neil, you know? So you've mm-hmm. got like all your little intricate things that make you, you. Okay, yeah. So that's the only real, in any um, species that make them different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was very very fascinating as well. Mm. If speaking of DNA and species, if you were to grab a whole bunch, how would you make the perfect comedian? 
Who would who would you <laughs> who would you mesh together? What fra- oh, wow. what Franken comedian would you make? Um, <laughs> I'd have to keep the the exuberance of Chris Rock because I love that about him. His energy, his stage presence, and 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 the way he just hits home on any particular topic. So from every angle, I think that's what he truly is a genius at. Um, you'd you'd have to take something from George Carlin. I'm just trying to think what the best thing, <laughs> the, the gruffiness. That's what he, um, just how unapologetic he was. So like his level of, uh, you know, that um, I'd put that in there. I'd put Louis C.K.'s way of seeing the world because I think he has the most interesting just his observations and that how that clicks in his mind is so interesting because, you know, he'll just make such an, a day-to-day observation and then have this really elaborate kind of thought process about it. Um, yeah, if, you think, if you're talking about Louis C.K., God, he's got one of the most brilliant jokes which seem like he, he really knows how to test the bounds, hey? Like that joke about pedophiles, like saying... Oh, the that, one at Saturday night, on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, like they... That's it, so good. That's su- it's such a good like stand-up comedy bit because yeah. it's just completely flipping the way everyone thinks about that. Yeah, it's, um, it's unbelievable. It's like, Jesus. Okay. Mm. I wonder how... How do you think um, those sort of sort of great comedians go about it. Like I've heard Joe Rogan in his interviews, he says that he writes a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's that's just it? Like when they're doing these specials, like you, you were saying that you're looking at doing or you're writing a special at the moment? I filmed one last year. I'm releasing it next month. So Okay. And how do you – what's sort of the process behind that? It's the collection of uh, material and the, the material comes about through, as I said, like um, just various cultural environmental factors and um, the way you look at society and, and things like that. I think the, the comedians are pretty interesting. Those sort of great comedians, they're a very interesting breed because they almost don't really see, I, th- I think, I don't know if this is true, but they probably see an issue or a topic quite seriously and then find a way to make it funny as opposed to just, oh, this is funny. This is a funny observation. They sort of see, I want to say this about this. I want people to see it in the way I see it, and I'm going to do it by making it funny and pointing out the flaws in the way people think about a particular issue. Okay. So um, I'm just trying to think of an an example. Like a one, I guess, that you – well, I get like you could take that pedophilia one, like – there's just such a, like, you would never think, like, pedophiles, it's just like, that's wrong, that's so bad, don't ever even think about it. But then the way Louis puts that in your mind, that, like, how good must it be that they still keep doing it? Like, that just flips your thinking of the whole topic, doesn't yeah. it? Like, you're just like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. And then you, it you changes st- your mind frame and everything. Yeah. And that, I think, is such good kind. And, and it was funny as well because because you're laughing at this because you haven't thought about it in that way before. Yeah. And the only sort of visceral response is, oh, my God, like, that's funny. Yeah. Um, and I think that's... And you feel horrible for laughing at it, but, like, you're just like, wow, that's so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like, those people are really, really fucked up. Yeah. Laughter is something that is so universal for everyone, like, in the world that you can't ever... Whenever, like, a whether it's the left or right or whatever, any sort of authoritarian figure tries to police laughter, you know they've lost then because laughter is just such a, like, truthful thing that everyone responds to. So that means tr- if someone's laughing at a joke, it means there's truth in it. Yeah. 
So as offensive as a joke may be, if people are laughing at it, there is some truth in it. Yeah. And you can never really avoid that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. No, it's actually funny because when I was – when I saw that Louis C.K. joke, it was like a month later I listened to a podcast about a guy – um, it was like one of those NPR ones, like WNYC. What's what's that called? I don't know, like the orange logo one. Doesn't really matter. But mm-hmm. they um, they had a um, a thirty minute clip on a guy that had seizures, mm-hmm. and so to cure the seizures, they went and did the surgery. You know, the standard surgery where they've got to be awake and they cut their their head open and they jiggle around with a few things. Okay, and it as it turns out, this guy, um got addicted to sex and like really devious kinds of sex and it got worse and worse and worse to the point point where he started looking at child porn. Okay. But he couldn't stop himself from doing it. Like as he would go on it and he would download it and then immediately delete it. Like they were looking mm. at the history of his computer. He'd immediately delete it. And then his brain would make him go back and do it. And it was just like he'd be in this like wow. cycle for an hour and a half of doing it. And eventually he got arrested and they went through this whole court case. And the neurosurgeon and the neurobiologist that like uh, gave, you know, their um, critique on what happened were like, this guy has no way of controlling what is happening and it's actually our fault for, for screwing up the surgery. Okay. Um, but yeah, he still went to jail for like, uh, no, he had like a home arrest or something like right. that. Right, but that just opens up a whole new can of it does. because there's a whole philosophical conversation to be had as to do you treat pedophilia as like it's an as addiction a or yeah. a criminal offense? Yeah, and that, that sort of. I, I don't have an answer to that, but I'd be quite interested to you know hear what other people who are experts on the issue yeah have to say about that. I mean, I don't. I mean, there's probably it's probably a combination of both. Yeah, you know, it's probably like it is wrong to. It's so wrong to do that because, you, and I'm sure they know that. But if you're addicted to it, yeah, what hope do they have? So, yeah, or maybe yeah, their brain is forcing them to do it that they still can't get back from it. Yeah, it's really weird. And yeah, like the whole thing with, I mean, the the church scandals and and things oh, like man. that. There's so much you can like dig into that about sexual repression and 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 whether that's healthy for human beings and for a society and it's probably not because these the priests are supposed to be like the yeah you know, the moral authority in the in the church and they they're clearly not they clearly have these um innate sexual desires that when you suppress them manifest themselves into much worse yeah. <laughs> sexual desires so well so this is it what doesn't I work what, you know this is my whole is this a chicken or an egg problem? Like, do you, this is what I find so amazing about what happened through those years is like, were the priests pedophiles or like, did pedophiles just know that they could become priests and they could get away with it? How how does that work? You know, like, because mm. it's, it's amazing to me because I, have you watched that documentary? No, it was a movie um, about the Boston Globe. And the, they yeah, did that. What's they, it called? Um, the one that won the Oscar. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Oh yeah. man, that is unbelievable, good. and it's like exact, like a mirror of what happened here. Yeah, and it's so I've, I'm totally intrigued by it because there was like two convicted pedophiles at my high school. Really? Yeah, and wow. I was always just like, oh my god. 
Wow. Um, and so, so yeah, like, uh, how do, like, how does it work? I'm just, it spins your mind. It's, yeah, it, it almost is then like this sort of structural part of that whole culture. I think like they were probably more than, more often than not abused themselves as kids. So that probably, created some sense of normalization of the of the whole process and then um i think it comes down to yeah those like sort of every every human out there has physical sexual desires um and then when you try to like suppress those they manifest themselves into something more darker and dangerous which is probably because you know when you're a priest you're celibate and all that yeah and i don't think that's um really a uh, reasonable demand to ask people you know yeah. human beings but that's what we are we're humans we need to well that's what you're meant to that's do one the <laughs> one need we have is to eat sleep and to procreate yeah like that's what we, we have to do that so um yeah there's something there's mm. genuinely something wrong with you if you don't want to do that whether um it's mental or hormonal or whatever like i remember mm. there was a gp who once said to me he, i said he was saying like you know as a guy, what are the things you got to look out for? And he's like, basically, if you don't wake up in the morning with the boner, you got something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, like, oh my god, that's just such a weird, funny way of putting it. But um, yeah, he's like, yeah, so. the, the, yeah. The, bo- the boner test is yeah. um, so like, yeah, it just yeah, sort of healthy sexual urges and highlights that you yeah. know we're we're basically just here <laughs> to procreate, have kids, and yeah. they they go on to to you know further. The species, basically. Essentially, yeah. Like, that's what uh, I read of uh, uh, The Selfish Gene recently. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I just Richard. bought it. Yeah, so good. Yeah. So, so good. And, and yeah, he talks about, like, you know, we again, in that similar as to what you were talking about in, in Sapiens, um, he really just breaks down how we really are just animals and the way in which um, our sort of reproductive processes um, have benefited us so much and, and the way in which our DNA works and, and, and you know, our reproductive systems, the fact that there's, you know, billions of sperm, you know, why? <laughs> but that's to just create the, this notion of there always being the best of the best and the, the yeah. selfish gene that always wins. And he, he just constantly goes back to our own sort of self-interest and it's really, um, it's confronting because you just sort of realise that like, all of us, every human on this on this planet is just out there to for themselves <laughs> essentially and they want to give their offspring the best chance of survival yeah and that's what drives us and uh, even in today's society with all the technological advancements and all that you know everything going on culture and the economy and you know we're not animals out there you know fighting for our survival in a way those urges are still they're biologically inbuilt to us and they just manifest themselves in 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 various behaviors that we sort of undertake and, and yeah. I think um you're getting me really excited to read this book now. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's a great book. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm probably sort of, you know, taking my own sort of uh, what I read from it and sort of, you know, putting my own opinion of of just, you know, behavior out there. Um but yeah, all of that is a discussion that is worth having and probably plays into, you know, what we we're talking about at the beginning of the podcast how um a lot of that discussion is quite it's confronting and and can you know offend people especially when you tie that into things like the way men you know um 
try to attract a mate and all that sort of stuff and our male sexuality versus female sexuality and and the biological differences that that lead to that and and you know the 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 far left today want to say that it's entirely male driven yeah. yeah and it's and and yeah and that just gender you know and the the way that men and women act differently in society is entirely based on um society and and what we've sort of been told and that i did i refute that like 100 yeah, like i think our biology and you know millions of years of evolution have definitely had some role to play um in that and yeah like it's a discussion to be had and they've gotten it's gotten to a point where like even if you just question it it's like no the conversation is shut down and that's really that's a dangerous culture i think yeah i think um jordan peterson spoke about this that um to say that it's more dominated by males or females is quite naive it's you have these dominance hierarchies in each Mm -hmm. um each gender and you know like the male dominance hierarchy is to basically um well one thing he actually noted which was fascinating to me is that um, of all the humans that have existed in the world, they've been cr- procreated by 50% of the males and almost 100% of the females. I heard that from him just the other day. That's so, really interesting. So half of the males die out mm. through war and other, you know, reasons. Um, and then females, which makes sense because f- in any species, if you don't have females, you are fucked. Mm-hmm. But you can have one male and five females for a species to procreate and mm-hmm. um you know exist essentially oh like the bell curve for men versus the bell curve for women in sort of many facets of our physiology is just far wider you know like the average woman is probably smarter than the average man but yeah. like the top 10 percent of men are smarter if we're talking about you know traditional iq method the top 10 percent of men would would rate higher in in that iq than the top 10 in the same way the bottom 10 percent of men are way worse than the bottom 10% of women and and if you even look at the way that um we've evolved in that the woman has to carry the the child for 9 months and and you know might even die in childbirth and it's set up the whole like our whole evolution is set up for only a small percentage of men to mate with multiple women yeah like that is how <clears throat> i think i look at the way that you know biology is essentially in that like I said, the woman has to carry the, the, the baby for a lot longer. The man can, if he wanted, if you were just like the dominant man or whatever, you can procreate multiple times a day. Yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of even just um, societies not that long ago, like um, city-states, you know, back in the day, there was always like this one dominant man, whether it be the king or whatever, and they'd always have like a harem. And yeah, that yeah. seems to be like a trend and and it almost inbuilt to uh, into our like sort of um human physiology that that is very prevalent um they talk about that even with sort of you know i don't know if you read much about like the manosphere and sort of those sorts of websites like game and things like that they're always talking about this 20 to 80 percent ratio like in a in a very uh sexually liberal society 20 percent of men sleep with 80 percent of women Really? Yeah, because um, women are more, uh, in general, pickier with who they, you know, choose as a mate. Um, but also all of this selection of mating is in the female's hand because if you think about it, like as a species, males will just mate 
with most females, whereas yeah. not all – because that's what I was getting at with the, the dominance hierarchies. Like for men, it's just about competition yeah. and being the best man who can mate with as many females as possible. But for the female, it's about choosing the best DNA yeah, so that you know that your child is going to succeed afterwards, whether they're intelligent, healthier, whatever it is. Yeah. So there's sort of these two different dominance hierarchies which affect each other. That's true. Yeah. So yeah, that and that's make- gonna re- and that's gonna definitely affect the way we act. Yeah, you know, in just in our day to day lives. Yeah, tell me this. Um, when it comes to mediums and the media in general, I mean, I love watching a lot of videos from a guy called Scott Galloway. Um, he runs a company okay. called Alto Inc. and it just speaks about how, basically, and I mean, this stuff is obvious. We see it through our lives with going on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, whatever it is. Um how the media industry has completely flipped to just basically being some dominant players. They have all of these, like I basically see advertising dying in the long term, not dying, but not being as prevalent as it is. As okay. things. Because like, if you think about it, like Amazon has Amazon Prime Video, which is a value-add service. True. Apple has um, original more subs- content. So more subscriber-based funding models exactly and i think that netflix because it's not really profitable will eventually be wound into a company like apple or google or something like that but it seems that you know media is going down this route of um you know subscription or being a value-add service Mm -hmm. um and like obviously the dominant thing is you'd probably know is video and voice that like that's obvious on Mm -hmm. facebook or youtube or whatever what what do you think your best suited to do you prefer doing live or do you prefer writing and scripting out these more thought out short videos well both i mean i (laughs) like them both i can't choose um i think like they're obviously very very different live it's about being in the moment and just sort of really reacting and building a rapport with the audience uh with you in that room at that very moment uh obviously if you're filming it and things like that you have to take into account a lot of other things and and a scripted video, there's a lot. It's it's a much bigger process. Probably the payoff at the end, if it goes well, is is greater. Um, you know, you, you you're refining it. You're constantly working on it. Um, every little shot. There's a team of people that work together to really uh, make it as good as it can be. So it's it probably is more rewarding in that sense. But I do enjoy live a lot more because you're up there, you're on stage, the adrenaline's pumping, yeah. and you're really in the moment. So. Look, they're both they're both different, and I can't I can't choose. Like they both have their uh, advantages and things I like about them. Yeah, where do you see media going? I know listening to your interview with Josh Wade, that um, I mean, it's sort of obvious that old media is dying. I mean, going back to this Scott Galloway guy, I think he showed that all of the main networks in America, their viewership had gone down twenty percent on average mm-hmm. when you take out sports like live sports. Yeah, so. Um, you know, where do you see things going and, and, and what do you want to do, I guess? I think I see so the yeah, mainstream established media basically becoming sport and news because those are the only things that people are willing to watch sort of on like sport. You want to watch it live. You want to watch it on a big screen. You want to watch it with a high production value. And that's something that those mainstream uh, established channels can offer and and the smaller small time ones can't but then again you never know that these other the subscriber based models do have a lot of money and they might you know start buying sporting events um 
I look, I don't know. I think there are definitely some trends. I think, yeah, fan funding and things like that is a lot more prevalent. Um, you can not, no longer afford to just sort of be commercial in the sense of trying to appease everyone and, and just really being all inclusive in that sense. Like previously in Australia, there were five major channels, so you couldn't afford to be too niche yeah. because you had to get a decent share of that those ratings um and if you were too niche you couldn't afford you just basically you couldn't afford to do that so you and and that is not because you know that then the incentive is not there for those channels to take risks and to try new content and to experiment ironically enough the only one that is doing that of the sort of major channels is abc which because it's government funded so it's got that safety net and it can afford to take risks and Funnily enough, therefore, it's actually doing better in the competitive marketplace, which goes against uh, a lot of what people would expect. But it does also make sense with, um, you know, there only being nine, seven, and ten essentially. So in Australia, in particular, I think the the downfall of the traditional media will be like the hardest yeah. because because in America they've got you, you cable and it's a lot more expansive there's a lot more channels and they can afford to be niche in that sense with Australia like I mean what do they have left they've got reality TV and that's yeah, it that's it's, it's reality it. reality TV random programming options from the US mm-hmm. and news and sport yep yeah and I, I think there's because you know we we're fascinated by media you know, just in the last year based on what we're doing, just mm-hmm. on podcasting. Like we do these little like distributed splice pieces of content and we've started getting people asking us about, you know, can, you know, how do you do that? Could you do it for us? Blah, blah, blah. And we're just sort of like realizing like here in Australia because we're sort of five years behind mm-hmm. what's happening in America. Mm-hmm. Man, it's going to be a bloodbath in the next five years and it's going to be a massive opportunity for new content creators, people who like, could you imagine, I, I feel like you could run a news organization, like a good news organization, not sensationalist, mm-hmm. out of a basic studio with like a team of 30 people here in Australia because you could run it live on Twitter, mm-hmm. YouTube, Facebook, mm-hmm. and then all of your written content or voice-based content is just published out through those different mediums. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting because at the moment it's just yeah. News Corp and then like fragmented bits of like Fairfax and other organizations. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised we don't have someone like that, like a, a secular talk in America who is that political commentator or that source of news that posts content, you know, daily or a few times a day and just yeah. informs people of the day-to-day happenings in in Australia, I guess a lot of the sort of AM radio guys almost take that um, <laughs> mantle. <laughs> but I get like, like even you see, like I don't know if you've been noticing Mark Latham um, and sort of Sky News. So Sky News are now the ones that are sort of bucking the trend and, and are saying, no, like we're anti-political correctness, anti-left. And even I don't agree with like, everything yeah at all but like i find it at least it's sort of interesting it's different yeah and it gets a lot of headlines and yeah it's not sanitized it's not (laughs) the the others just seem so sanitized you know like they've just put out like basic you know ratings friendly um stories and and 
all the, their news stories are just so lame, basically, and I can't watch. No, I agree. And they and they're live on like Twitter and they're live on YouTube at certain times of the day. Is on it Sky, Sky or Sky News? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, like I wouldn't agree. Sky News is a tricky one, isn't? Because you get like people like Mark Latham and Andrew Bolt, who mm. um, I'd agree with him on free speech, but not in like most of the other things he believes. But like then you've got these award-winning journalists, like political journalists, mm-hmm. who are really smart straight down the line. Um, like I'm thinking about the guy um, who runs the main political show in the afternoon and like his like posse of political it's reporters. It's not Paul Murray, is it? No, not Paul Murray. Um, he's more of a commentator. But this, yeah, this, he's... Yeah, he, he's so fucking funny because like I just find it amusing. He never taught like, – because I've got him on YouTube and uh, Twitter and he's just like – he's always going on about Muslims, man. And like, <laughs> yeah, like, like oh, I can agree, I can agree with the ideology, and there's there's issues there that pe- the left doesn't want to talk about. But like he, you know, when there's this thing with um uh, Bashar Huli, and he got reported in the AFL down here, and he got yeah. like knocked out for like not knocked out, but put out for like four to six weeks, and like he's like all over it. And I'm like, since when did you like football, mate? Like, when have you ever commentated yeah, on the AFL? that's a good point. It's just like, I, I find him... that A lot of the, the sort of partisan commentary, yeah. whether it's from the left or the right, they'll just get into any little topic that they think suits them and they've got no idea what they're talking about <laughs> half the time. Like, even the celebrity stuff. Yeah. Oh, like, when, you know, the left would always do the, the sort of celebrities generally, like at the Oscars and that, would sort of say things that are definitely uh, in favour of the left. And as soon as one would say something about... The right, or as soon as Kanye would meet with Donald Trump, the whole right in America, like, oh yeah, go Kanye, and it's like, <laughs> no, like three years ago, you would have hated every lyric he ever said. Like, come yeah. on, have a bit of uh, be consistent dignity here. <laughs> like, but in saying that, like we say, be consistent, but then again, we want people to change their minds, so it's a tough line, isn't it? I guess the main thing is, don't be consistent with your ideology. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, but I don't think, like you know, just sort of. <laughs> Um, holding up other, like just finding any little thing that you think is going to sort of be bad for the other side is not a, an effective strategy, you know. It's more just a kind of like, it's like playground arguments essentially. Oh, it's always like some petty little argument. Yeah, and I don't think they need to focus on that. Both sides, if they don't, if they need to stop focusing on trying to bring the other side down and just trying to, you know, like I said, that big 80% of people in the middle who are just essentially quite malleable, I think, and virtually centrist, if they can, you know, say, hey, look, this is what we care about. These are our values. You should come onto our side. That's going to be more effective than just being like, whoa, they're bad. Yeah. Um, I'd love to, yeah. I'd love to be able to finance or be part of something like that. I think there's going to be opportunities over the next few years. It's going to take time. Mm. You know, it's intriguing to look at the amount of content creators that were in Australia say seven years ago versus what there is now and good ones as well yeah it's quite it's quite diverse now sure yeah the internet and things like that has just exploded tell me um when it comes to stand up what what has that like i'm guessing you've bombed oh everyone has (laughs) do you have a particular story for us that that rings out in your head? Yeah, uh, one time... Oh, okay, there's three. There's one in the UK uh, when I was doing the Edinburgh Fringe and about 40, 50 Scots coming to my full show. I was pretty new to stand I was maybe 20, so I was not as good as I am now and uh, just not laughing at anything, like nothing at all. Usually there's a few... Like I've done bad shows, but you go through with it with like, oh, they laughed a little bit. This was 
Nothing. Zilch. Zero. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Really awkward. I got heckled at the end, and and then half the audience felt sorry for me, which is even worse. And <laughs> I finished the show fifteen minutes early, and there was just not much. Luckily, it's the fringe, so you know most of them were just taking a punt on an unknown comedian, and that's probably what they would have been. Worse. Ironically enough, it would have been worse here if it would was like you know two hundred people that knew me and had paid to see me, and then I did a bad show. That would be bad, but. These people were just like, oh, who's this guy? Let's give him a shot. And they won't do it again. <laughs> so it wasn't too bad, but it was not a good feeling at the time. Another time in the UK, I was doing a club set. And uh, club sets are different to shows because club sets is all just like the punchy material. Just get out there. Just make them laugh as much as possible. And you do 20-minute spots in the UK, their, their entire comedy scene. Oh, the com- yeah, like the comedy scene in the UK and America just so much better than Australia. But, um, so you do well, the whole scene. There is one for a start. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the whole scene relies on 20-minute spots uh, for paid spots in, in London. And so I'm doing my 20 minutes. What I do is I put a really good five at the start and my best five at the end. And then the middle 10 is still, I mean, it's still, I like to think, good. But the strongest fives are at the start and the end. First five, nothing, nothing at all. So I'm like, oh God, all right, I'll take the last five and put it in after that. <laughs> nothing. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm screwed. And you have to do 20 to get paid. Uh. So I've gone through my best 10. There's 10 to go. There's all these sort of middle-aged bloke. It was not even London. It was somewhere out of London, um, Reading. And, <laughs> and just these sort of like <laughs> pissed off British men that were just cold and miserable not enjoying anything I was saying and it was horrendous. It was terrible. And probably the other most memorable time I really bombed was when I just started. I just won Class Clowns and I was doing this acting school um, and they were having a talent show and they thought, hey, you just won this competition. Do some do some material for us. And I don't know why I agreed. It was the dumbest thing ever because a lot of the talent show was like, it, it was like four-year-old kids playing the, the flute. <laughs> and then like I'd come on with like and then the the thing it was next to a church so me being my stupid like angsty like rebellious you know oh I'm such an atheist comedian let me do all these religious jokes so I did all these religious jokes and there was all old people from the church oh no and like oh <laughs> people walked out no. yeah the, the lady had to apologize afterwards there was one person laughing up the back like i could hear just one person <laughs> laughing and i think the fact that no one was laughing and they were just dumb jokes they were just like oh what's with the what's with the christian god all the other gods have a name why don't you like why doesn't your god have a name and it was i was like i've got some names for you um We'll call it a unisex name because we don't know if it's male or female. So Alex, Tony, Julia Gillard. Just like dumb, <laughs> dumb jokes from a 15-year-old that didn't know what he was talking about. Um, and yeah, it was just... Luckily, I think because I was so young, I got over it easily because I was like, eh, whatever. Whatever. But if I do, if I do that now, that would just be hell. <laughs> what, what has bombing taught you or what have you learned from it you learn more from bombing than doing a good set to be honest because you work out what you have to you have to analyze you know failure is is good because it makes you sort of like look at yourself and say what could i've done better what do i need to improve on what do i need to work on because if you're just doing good sets all the time you get complacent you get lazy you also get like confident like so much of stand up relies on confidence so you need that confidence um but a bomb now and again is a good thing i think yeah you know a bad set is is it's a kick in the it's a kick in the in the bum really you know keep <laughs> and working do you like pepper 
like you know something that you believe is guaranteed good material in with like newer stuff like how does that work yeah yeah i'll definitely do that so if i'm working on some new material i'll never open on that i'll always yeah basically what you said just pepper it in the middle there usually um sometimes if the if they're not laughing that much at my good stuff at the beginning i might not even do the new material i should really uh but you know that's something i'm working on um and you got to be afraid to to have people not laugh at you because when I started, it's all about like every joke has to get laughs. I have to get laughs. Every 30 seconds, there has to be a laugh. But like some of the best bits are the bits that take like three or four minutes to actually get to the punchline. Yeah. You know, and then the audience is like, where is this going? Where is this going? But then the payoff is so much better. Yeah. So, um, you know, you got to get used to being on stage and just talking without people necessarily laughing because there's this real feeling of like oh i need the laughter i need the laughter i'm not doing well if i'm not getting the laughter and been trying to work on that okay yeah so if you were let's say you would have a bunch of like let's say three to six i don't know let's take three Mm -hmm. and you got a million bucks on the line you got 12 weeks to get them up to speed to do stand up i can do a good (laughs) good set okay how would you do it just three people have never done it before never done it but are like super keen to do it Okay. Um, and you just got to get them so that they can have a decent enough set, set that they're not booed off. Um, <laughs> a lot of that is going to rely on them. There's only so much I can do, to be honest. Uh, I'll just tell them to, like, you're going to be pretty nervous on your first gig, but you got to really try to hide that. And, and if you are feeling nervous, really just try to command the stage, unless you're doing a nervous character or something. Uh, or like some kind of anti-comedy. But other than that, you really want to just command the stage, tell people, hey, look, I'm here. I'm here to make you laugh. Make the audience feel comfortable. That's a big thing. Yeah. Feel comfortable to laugh at you and your jokes because there are certain jokes that some comedians uh, can uh, let an audience laugh at and some comedians can't. And that's all about just building the rapport with the audience and, and the way they come across and their likability and their and their presence, so all the things like that. But at the same time, you wouldn't want them to think too much because it's their first gig and you just want them to go out there and really just um, try to not be as nervous as one and do what they think is funny because that's what's going to give them the most confidence. So I'd give them a few pointers, but I wouldn't sort of overdo it. Yeah, and so you think just the main thing then is just if anyone was starting new, like would you point to any books or resources or would you just say, like get you know can they build some sort of framework and then just go to go out and start doing as many free shows as they can yeah i'd say like it's all it's all practice like you're gonna get better the more you do it so go out there to as many open mics as you can don't be afraid to do the bad ones and just gig 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 just gig as much as you can a few times a week at least that's all you can really ask for in australia when you're starting out if you're in america every day um and watch as much as you can. Listen to as much comedy. Watch as much comedy as you can. Talk to the comedians. Um, go to comedy as an audience member. See what works. See what doesn't work. And just kind of consume yourself. There's no particular books or resources or things like that I can think of. It's it's funny. It's a profession that doesn't have a sort of like you know a, a sort of a Bible or an acad- academia around it. It's really yeah. just kind of a profession that's like, go out and do it. You yeah. know? Um, there's no, there's no courses. There's no degree. There's nothing <laughs> that you just do it basically. And I, I kind of like that about that. It's not, it's not tainted um, in that sense. Yeah. Who, um, you know, you've worked quite a bit with guys like Josh Wade and yep. Elliot Loney and so forth. What have you learned from working with those guys? And would, 
you know, I'm guessing you'd recommend that people find as many like-minded comedians as possible and do stuff with them. Yeah, absolutely. There's a huge sort of um, kinship among the internet, particularly the internet comedians in Australia, because we all feel like we're in the same boat. We're we're trying to help each other out and really try to um, any any success we have is a success for all of us, and it's it's a, it's a success for internet comedy uh, in general. And there was a lot of pushback and uh, criticism, especially when you know Josh and I started and when we started doing stand-up and things like that. So we've all sort of bonded on that and, and tried to, you know, help each other quite a lot and, and really um, kept a pretty tight-knit community. So what have I learnt? Um, Josh is a really interesting character because, you know, he started off doing those kind of crazy cunny videos and all <laughs> that, which were hilarious, but now he's doing podcasts and that's they're amazing because I think that's what he really wants to do. Yeah, He's got so many opinions on the world and politics and culture and, and things like that. And and I think you can tell he's enjoying it and that's the main thing. It's obviously like stuff like that's never going to get go like mega viral, like, um, you know, him saying like why you should vote for me in the federal election, which is a great video, don't get me wrong, but like um, it, it's much more of a slower build. And, but it's more of a payout. Again, like it, it's, uh, it's an, a longer-term prospect uh for him and a longer term investment and i think he's going to generate like a, an audience that really truly does love him and love him for what he does and what he really wants to do and i think that's really important elliot is like the most underrated impressionist in in australia like his impressions are so good so charismatic i mean <laughs> i don't know why he isn't a mains if we still had like variety shows like hey hey it's saturday and good news week and things oh, like that yeah. that guy would be a megastar and a lot of other comedians that should really be famous and unfortunately are not because we don't have shows like that. We've got the project and that's about it. Um, and the project likes to have the air of, no, we're a bit better than a variety show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they are, but not much. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't, don't remember, I love all the people that work on the project, just the project as a show itself. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Elliot, just like his impressions are amazing. He's been on Sunrise and he's been on uh, the Today Show and he's been on fox fm but he hasn't really broken the mainstream yet which is unfortunate because he's so talented like his tennis impressions are like so spot on they're unbelievable like they're so 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 good so if he just had some outlet you know if there was just some sort of if rove was still on or anything he'd be like a recurring guest on there yeah if there's just some show like that he would have done it by now but yeah i think for him it's just the internet and continuing to go on with that. And even he's working on that pilot now, the uh, prestigious 980s. Yeah, that thing is hilarious, yeah. And I think that's got some, that's getting something to it and it's going well. So, yeah, it's uh, definitely got some legs, that's for sure. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. It's so, so funny. What are the, when you first get into comedy, what do you think are the, f- the most common mistakes that novices make? Oh, um,. Probably you need a mix between being like too ambitious too early and also waiting too long, you know, to do your first show and things like that. And 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 I think a mistake now is sort of um, only focusing on the traditional route, which was like doing the club circuit and sort of making a name for yourself that way and maybe getting on a, a show, which they, like I said, they don't exist anymore. So I think you you got to be versatile. You've got to put yourself out there on the internet, really, and, and try to make – or radio or something. Like, uh, in Australia, it's really hard. It's almost impossible to just be a pure stand-up comedian. Like, Carl Barron's the only one. All the others, yeah. they're known for, like, 
you know, they're on radio or they're on the project. Oh, and they also do stand-up. You know, there's not really many that are just a stand-up. Yeah, you've got to be a bit of a polymath sort Basically, of. Basically, yeah. yeah. Entertainment polymath. Yeah. <laughs> the Da Vinci of today, <laughs> essentially. Now, I want to jump into some faster questions to okay. finish things off. What, um, do you have like a morning ritual or anything like that? Um, I've started meditating a little bit, okay. actually. Yeah, just recently I meditate for 20 minutes if if I don't have to be anywhere really quickly. And then, um, I yeah, I just eat some fruit and uh, get stuck into it, yeah. get into the work and that. Now, um, what type of meditation are you doing? Do you have like one of those apps? Or? No, I just do it. Like I just I sit there in the like the, that sort of meditation position, cross-legged. <laughs> and I do a bit of vocal warm-ups as well sometimes just because lately I've been trying to focus on the for the acting and things like that. Um, so I might do a few ohms. You know, be very Indian in that sense. Um, but it really depends. I don't like to start my mornings like super intense. And some people like get up and like boom, exercise and work as hard as you can. I sort of ease into it a little bit. Yeah. The first hour or two I'm awake. I, and also because I'm doing gigs and that, I, I don't, I'm not an early riser. So I get really stuck into my work sort of late morning and, and afternoon. And then sometimes go up to sort of early evening. That's when I'm really the most productive. Um, and then I definitely try to take, you know, a good two hours at least to just wind down and, yeah. and then, then before I go to bed. And so when you're not on tour, what does a typical day look like for you? Oh, it depends. But yeah, look, uh, if I might have had a gig the night before, so I'll wake up and then, yeah, I'll do a bit of that <laughs> meditation or something <laughs> to, to relax. Um, you know, check all the socials, got to do all that. Uh, <laughs> Um, that's the, that's today's reading the paper, you know, checking the socials. So we probably are dumbing ourselves down a little bit there. Um, and then sort of the easy things that I have to send any emails, all that kind of boring logistical kind of stuff. Then I try, if I have some writing to do, I'll do it. If I have, you know, organizing or filming to do, I'll do that. I try to exercise somewhere in the middle there, usually in, uh, sort of the early afternoon. And that's a bit of a break. Have a have have lunch, um, come back and then work some more. Okay. Um, whether that's you know that depends whether it's writing, editing, you know whatever whatever I have to do. Basically, there's always something to do. <laughs> and then um, I might either go to a gig at night or just relax or hang out with friends or something like that. And okay. Yeah, nothing too crazy. Really, just a pretty average sort of routine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry, <laughs> there's nothing. No, like no, it's good. It's outlandish just there. It's good to hear the way that people go about their day because you can pick little things and learn about it. Okay. What do you do for exercise? Do you do like weights or running or? I used to do more like yeah, just heavy weights and that. But now I've been swimming. Um, I do yeah, like I still will go to the gym. So I do more sort of like calisthenic stuff. So like you just do pull ups and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, that that's sort of like. That's the that's the routine. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing too strict. I'm not on some crazy bodybuilder diet or anything <laughs> like that. But tell me, um, have you had any best purchases under two? What would be your best purchase under two hundred dollars in the last, say, two years? Oh, I was gonna say what, well, but it's under two. It was two hundred and something. It was like okay. a bit over two hundred. But what was it? I got this like white noise machine. So like it's ah. this big clock radio, but it also has all these like sounds in it. Um, because like I just moved out in Sydney and I'm, I live like on a highway. So, um, yeah, there's noise at night and like, that's, it's okay. You get used to it after a while, but I was looking for something to kind of help me with that. And, 
And this one, I went to the shop in Manly in Sydney and um, I was going to get these headbands, but okay. then I was I saw this other pro, I was like, what's that? Oh, he's like, oh, that's a white noise machine. So it just plays this like soothing like beach sounds or like oh, river nice. sounds and rainforest sounds and like I've slept so well ever since. Yeah. Like uh, it's amazing. Um, and apparently Bill Gates got one when he was here because he, he has to sleep with one every night. And really? so he, he forgot it when he came to Australia. So he went to that same store to get that one. So what, what's the brand? What's it called? Ah, um, I want to get one now. <laughs> to just Google. Um, it's either sleep easy or sleep well. Or if you Google like sleep phones, sleep phones manly. Okay. Like that, it'll, it'll come up with something. I forget the actual. I'll Google it for you at the end of this, but we'll link it. It's, it's, it's really good. Um, I, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Because I'm all about like getting my sleep right. I mean, we're not too bad here, but um, to be honest, in the morning you can hear trams and yeah. cars and stuff like that. And if you're going to bed at a certain time, like let's say if I go to bed like between 11 or 12 mm-hmm. on a weeknight, it can be tough because you've got like mm. neighbors or like people just fucking honk about nothing here in melbourne yeah it's really right. irritating so maybe that could be a way to i think this will help yeah. this this the, i i was in the same boat where like it would be even earlier because on the highway it would go quiet like later at night like 11 to 2 it would be pretty quiet but then everything else would go quiet so one when a truck would go past it would <laughs> just, just be like oh my god yeah, yeah you just hear it Whereas when it was sort of peak hour, because there were so many cars, it was just almost like white noise in, in a way because there's just that many. It's not that bad. It sounds like it's really bad. But like when it was really quiet and one truck would go past, it would sometimes wake me up. Oh, I, I know the feeling. Like here, yeah. we you get like a, on a Sunday night, you get like the cleaner trucks because they tr- oh, clean all the tram that'd trucks. Oh, that would be the worst. Um, and I remember we were living, not living, but we were in Copenhagen for like three weeks when me and my partner were traveling mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And we were on like a corner street or like a, it was like a main road that went into a suburban street in, in like the inner suburbs. It was really weird. And then all the trucks just came to this fucking corner to like turn into the, this street that went into the city. And they were just, yeah, and because there was no air con. So we had to have the window open, and the trucks trucks were just so fucking loud. And yeah. It was like horrendous. It sounds similar to that, but yeah, this could be good. This could this could fix it. Look it up. Yeah, I'm sure if you just like sleep solutions or something, uh, <laughs> manly. I think that's yeah. If um, what do you, what do you almost like certainly disagree with people on? Then you find it crazy that they can't agree with you. Like what seems obvious to you, but not Ooh. to others. Um, like little things or bigger sort of political Any, things. Probably the thing. like some of the free speech stuff. I think it's pretty crazy how some people think about it. Um, I feel like that's not a non-issue, but I'm pretty like passionate about that. Yeah, I think, yeah, it should be a society where people can say what they want. You know. Yeah, let them tie their own noose. Exactly, and obviously there's some restrictions about calls for violence and things like that. But aside from that. I just don't like you can't sort of if you're starting to say oh but those really bad views we've got to silence them well no then that's not being consistent you've got to either say completely free speech or then not at all where do you stop you know so um I feel like that's something that uh I tend to wonder how people can disagree with that um yeah yeah, that's probably the big I one think, that comes to mind. Okay. I think that's a good one. What um, what's an obsession that you continue to explore that 
just seems absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um Lately, I have been pretty getting pretty obsessed with the swimming because, like, I was a swimming teacher before, and then I always go through phases where I'm like, "Oh, I got to get yeah. back to how good I was again." Because, like, back in high school, once upon a time, I was like a state swimmer, and um, I'm trying to like get really good again. And like, it's weird. Like, I'll spend way too much time at the pool when really I should be like working <laughs> on my actual job and stuff. So, um, that probably I get a bit obsessed about. I probably get too obsessed with social media. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it is where my main career is, but I just spend too much time on it, as I'm sure many people in today's day and age do. I thought you were going to say something like uh, your support, your support of, um, do you support the Roosters? Oh, the Dragons. The Dragons, sorry. Oh, yeah, I've been tweeting about that heaps lately. Yeah, yeah like, yeah, they're, they're, oh, don't get me started on them. They're pretty <laughs> disappointing at the moment. Um, started the season, were tied first, halfway through the season. Now they've dropped out. Well, they're probably going to drop out of the eight. Wow. And and that's from losing. They beat all the hard teams at the beginning. Now they're losing to all the easy teams. And it's just not fun to be a Dragons fan. <laughs> well, I wouldn't worry. I mean, I back for uh, St Kilda in the AFL. We've won one premiership in 120 Ooh. years or near 120 years. You drew one as well. Yeah. That was fucking yeah, shocking. Yeah. That would suck. That was depressing. <laughs> Um, if you if you could have a billboard anywhere in the world, where would it be, and what would it say? Oh, well, you can't go past Times Square for billboards. Yeah, you would think. What would it say? I feel like I should say something really profound. <laughs> But I'd probably just put a joke up there, like a silly joke or something like that. Do you have an all-time favourite dad joke? Uh, I can't think of one. I'd put one that would, like, trigger people, I think. Um, well, I did one last night that got, like, a few, ooh, like, those sort of reactions. Yeah. What I say, I was just like, oh, brown dick is like the black jelly bean to a white girl. They'll put it in their mouth, but only through a lack of other options. <laughs> and like, I love that joke. I think it's hilarious. I put, okay, yeah, I'd put that joke up. Yeah. There. It's sort of like a self deprecating joke. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's kind of self deprecating. And people but... said, ooh, that was bad. Really? Yeah. Wow. I know, yeah. People need to chill. I know, <laughs> yeah. I got another one that I think has been. I go, uh, I went on a date with a girl who's a really hardcore feminist, and uh, which I'm cool with, but then she wanted me to pay for dinner. And I was like, come on, you can't be a feminist just for the good stuff. <laughs> Every time a man pays for dinner, he should be allowed one sexist joke at the girl's expense. <gasps> so if I've paid for dinner, then the girl's like, oh, I wish I had a ping pong table at my workplace. I get to be like, oh, come on, that'll never fit in the kitchen. <laughs> it's a fair trade when you think about it. And I told her that joke. She's like, oh, that's really sexy. I was like, it is, but it's thrifty. You know, if you paid for dinner, I'd let you have one racist joke. That's a bargain. And she's like, yeah, your people love a bargain, don't they? (laughs) Settle down. You haven't paid yet. So, you know, bring it back on myself. It's okay. But yeah, that one gets more laughs in Sydney than it does in Melbourne. Really? Yeah. No, Melbourne's a bit like, ooh. Yeah. um, People are a bit PC down here, but. um, Oh, Sydney's not too far behind, to be honest. It's Brisbane and that. Where you want to go where they don't care about that at all. (laughs) Um, Do you have any favorite documentaries or movies that you've watched over the last year or so? 
Um, I watched American Psycho for the first time the other week on, no on Netflix. Shit. I really love that. How? I can't believe I hadn't seen it before. You got to read the book. It's fucking amazing. I like, yeah, I want to read the book now. So I really loved that one. Documentaries of Cosmos, if you'd call that a documentary. I, you would, I guess. Like, yeah. That was amazing. I like that. was really mind-blowing, that one. Um, other films. Um... The films I saw, I saw some of like the Oscar sort of films. None of them, like they were all good, but none of them were like absolutely mind blowing. Um, but yeah, probably that like the Cosmos documentary. I saw that the Red Pill documentary. Oh yeah, that was very interesting. It was yeah. interesting. Yeah, I don't think it was as like confronting and amazing as everyone no. was saying it was, but it was good. Like it, it made some good points. Yeah, it? yeah. I think she m- missed a few things, but like I didn't. I. I just watched it because people were just going bonkers about it. it I know like, she's gotten she went on the right track. You know, she's now everyone knows her. And like, yeah, I thought like, like documentary itself wasn't that like this is what you're complaining about. Better like yeah, she could have done know, like a lot more stuff. I think it was um, poor filming. There was a lot of stuff missing, mm. um, but it was good. Like you know, it wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's how I put it. Um, well, what um. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say influential book, but if you had to give someone a book, what would it be? I'd have to go with because it's just fresh in my memory. The Selfish Gene. Okay, that one was really like that. That was moving. You know, that really made me think about the world in a very different way. Yeah, it was. It was just a great book. I, I, actually, another one I read recently was um, the John Safran one. Um, oh yeah, depends what you mean by extremist. Yeah. So anyone who's interested in that sort of today's like cultural discourse has to read that book okay yeah really really interesting really good insight into the um the different paradigms of the extreme cultures here and and the way he writes about it is really good because he's not taking sides and he's sort of pointing out the flaws for all of them yeah and it's really refreshing to see that okay um last requests or parting words for the audience um just learn to laugh Okay. And uh, have fun. Have fun with your life. Um, don't get too caught up in social media and um, the hubbub of uh, today's like craziness and just, you know, enjoy your life, basically. <laughs> Wise words. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Wise you've got meek words. You've got a few things going on. Um, who would you rather would be my first suggestion that people stop by because that's quite funny. Yeah, I know. Here I am just making fun of reality TV and look what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> so basically what I'm trying to do there is really try to get some of those advertiser dollars from TV, to be honest. So, um, um, But I'm, it's fun doing that show. It's a really fun show. We've already had a lot of interest from advertisers. So I'd love to make it the first sort of like recurrent web series in australia like a web tv show where it has advertisers involved and we get like talent we pay them properly it's a proper production and and yeah we start um giving some of these internet people the the money that they deserve because they're bringing huge eyeballs and audiences in and i think this is a way to do it um and it's just a lot of it's a fun show you know it's taking away the sort of oh the sanctimonious nature of a lot of the other dating shows and just making it fun yeah and like and like getting to the point and and, you know, not being afraid to sort of say the things that I was like, yeah, oh, was it because he was black that you didn't like him and all sorts of things like that. Um, I think those are things that play on people's mind, but they're like, well, I'm, I'm, can I say this? Yeah. So I want to be able to say those things. 
um, who yes, this is who would rather my my yeah Neil before me. That's the, the stand up specials coming out on like Spotify and iTunes probably late August, and then it's gonna drop on my. I'm just gonna put it on my YouTube channel in sort of mid September. Um, really proud of that one. That's been like my material sort of collection of my material from sort of basically 2014 to 2016. Um, I filmed it last year, and. Then I've got an ABC show. I'm doing a show for like uh, ABC iView and ABC2 called Virgin Bush where I go out into the bush and do all this uh, bush stuff. <laughs> That'll be fun. Um, those are the main – yeah. Those, are, And then, yeah, I'm doing a tour. I'm going to a few like uh, smaller cities. So Geelong, Bendigo, Wollongong, Canberra, Gosford, Newcastle, Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast okay. over the next month and a half. Yeah. Now the best places for people to find you? YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Neil K, N-E-E-L-K. And then my Facebook page, um, Neil Kalhack, N-E-E-L. I'm sure if you type in N-E-E-L, it'll come up. Yeah. Um, and we'll link it, of course. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, probably just the, the YouTube and the Facebook are the main ones. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Are you on Twitter? Yeah, you are on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I'm not that, like, I, I'm even considering deleting it. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have that many followers on there. And it's just such a, like, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, just incessant, like opinionated, like ugh, like I, it just makes me angry going through the newsfeed. Yeah, and I don't know if I want that, you know. And I, I don't know if you know one day if something happens and people are gonna just look through your tweets about oh look what you said in like June twenty twelve. Yeah, and you're like, give me a break. You like, see, you see that now with um, you know politicians essentially it's pretty rough yeah it's just stupid i don't even know what i'm 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 like i'm not far off deleting it mm, that's interesting which is weird for an internet person i know but i think it's almost like i'll be the new wave of like yeah whatever twitter i don't need it i'm, ab- <laughs> I'm above it <laughs> well look neil this has been a lot of fun thank yeah, you so much thank you thank you for having me this is a great chat cheers Thank you for making it this far. We hope you enjoyed the episode. The first thing I'd like you to do as I said at the start is subscribe. Subscribe on your podcast app. It will give you priority access to future episodes and go a long way in helping fellow-minded listeners find Uncommon. The second thing I'd like you to do is leave us an invaluable review on Podchaser. Podchaser is the new IMDb of podcasts and they've given Neural's subscribers priority access to their beta launch. In two minutes, you can leave a review. Just proceed to beta, beta.podchaser.com and type in the promo code UNCOMMON. That will allow you to get access. You can also go and leave reviews for the other podcasts that you like as well. Alternatively, we would love your review on iTunes, Stitcher and any other platforms that you use. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat or Instagram. It's just at Neural. Each week we'll have a promo for the episode that will distribute out on those platforms. So until next time, thanks for listening.